This episode of Breakaway is brought to you by you. That's right, you. Thank you so much for supporting us and being a loyal listener to this podcast over the past year. It's a year anniversary at The Athletic, I believe, next week. What a wild ride. And hey, just want to give a shout out to Mark Stahl for giving us so much great content over the years. Give a shout out to Jack Eichel for wanting to be a future New York Ranger. And of course, you, all you for listening. With all that said, let's get to Mark Messier and get to the show. Hi, everybody. It's Mark Messier, and you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number one Rangers podcast. Bush Break fans, welcome to the week of the Bush Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Mead, and I'm here with my co-host, Greg Capital of The Athletic. I was on vacation. Gregory was out for the first time in 2020, and we did not record an emergency podcast when Mark Stahl was surprisingly bought out on a Saturday night, or rather traded, not even bought out. Jesus. Kako, rather. Gregory, say hello. Yeah, I can't emphasize this enough. I, I've literally only been to other people's houses since March. I hadn't gone out. I hadn't really felt the need to go out. Hasn't really been a thing. Uh, There was no track to go to. There were no Met games to go to. It's been great for the old bank account, Ryan. I gotta be honest. It's been good. But literally, literally the first time since I had gotten home from Denver for that I went out to go enjoy an adult beverage in a establishment that sells Food and adult beverages. Cuomo chips, baby. My phone blows up about Mark Stahl. I know. I just got home from Shenandoah, hiked the whole week. Had no, gotta tell you, Gregory, and I recommend everyone do this. If you can turn your phone off for five days, please do it. It is amazing. It's a fully refreshing experience. And that's what I did. Turned it off for five days, hiked, did everything. And I got home Saturday, sat down for dinner. And then my phone was like, Mark Stahl, Mark Stahl, he's gone. We traded him. And I'm still shocked. You know, I had to do that look like, look at my wife and be like, hey, um, so I have to go to Twitter now. <laughs> I haven't been on the phone for like six days. Um, what was your initial reaction to seeing that Mark Stahl, the legendary, the traffic cone himself, the legendary warrior player, leader, de facto captain outside of Hank, was traded to the Detroit Red Wings on a, on a late Saturday night? I honestly couldn't believe it. Still shocked. I know... I know we probably throw around the terms unbelievable, speechless. Mm-hmm. We These things are said so often that it's hard to believe the amount of times in your life you've actually been moved to the point where words cannot be made. Um, this one shot it, – it shocked me to my core because we had literally sp- – the buyout window had barely been open, and we had been talking about either on this podcast or on Twitter or – just with our friends in casual conversation about how the New York Rangers would make it a big deal. If they decide to move on from Henrik Lundqvist, it's not just going to be some innocuous tweet that appears. I would have said that Mark Stahl, while obviously not as important to us as fans as Henrik Lundqvist, this is a guy who's super important to this organization. There's a reason why Daniel Dan Girardi got bought out first. There's a reason why I don't think a buyout was ever truly on the table with Stahl. Uh, in the Ranger video tribute that they made for Mark Stahl, I didn't realize that Stahl has been wearing an A for 10 years. It's ridiculous, He's right? Beloved. He's ridiculous. He's beloved in the locker room. I think the coaching staff use him as an extension, maybe maybe not in the, the teaching and schematic 
terms of what it is to be a head coach, but they consider him to be an extension of the coaching staff when it comes to helping groom young players with whom the New York Rangers have a lot. And it's, I didn't, we've joked about how we don't think that Mark Stahl has trade value, yet at the same time, we see defensemen that are either worse or of equal skill as Mark value at Mark value, Mark Stahl get traded. I think you use the word, the right words there. Mark value. That's, yeah, that's just, exactly what they were. Mark value. Brian in the, in the, we're approaching what? Five years of us doing this podcast now. Uh, as far as that is to believe. I believe in six weeks, we will be at our fifth year. Our, our, this is our first year. Uh, just had a slack note of Kisha Gawk. Going to quit that. Nice job, Ryan producer. Um, uh, this will be our one year anniversary of the athletic this week, this episode actually. And we will be doing oh, wow. five years, uh, at the end of November, which is insane episode. Um, some number that's uh, really high. We're approaching five years. A lot of trades have been made in our time. Can you think of a trade that has ever made more sense for both sides? No, because when I thought about this, I was like, wow. My first gut reaction was, wow, why would Detroit do that? But my second gut reaction was, I think that's a smart and savvy move by Detroit. It's a free draft pick. Right. He paid for a draft pick, which was they they were going to have to reach the salary floor anyway. They know they're going to probably be absolutely outrageously terrible all year. Why wouldn't they get a second-round draft pick of which the current GM has a great track record of finding second-round draft picks and other talent later in the draft? Like, they're, right. and they're what, the long-haul what process we, here. And what what did I just say about Mark Stahl from the New York Rangers' point of view? Locker room veteran, mm-hmm. respected leader, extension of the coaching staff. This is a Red Wings team that's going to have more young players than they know what to do with. And it, what it, it doesn't matter to them if Mark Stahl is good defensively or not. All they need is some guy to show the kids the ropes. And I think as as many negative things that we've said about Mark Stahl over the years, I would never once say that he's not capable of showing the kids the rope, teaching people how to be an NHL player, letting people letting young hockey players understand what it takes to be ready on a night in night out basis. Like there are, there are things that Mark Stahl has done off the ice that are of value. It's just that the way the New York Rangers have been handling themselves the last couple of years of their competitive window is they were asking him to do too much on the ice. So he, we piled on him. They were always and then when the Rangers with the youth movement, well, Mark Stahl clearly is not one of the young guns. So the piling on continued because we started to feel like he was preventing other young players from seeing the ice. The Red Wings young players aren't ready. So one year of Mark Stahl to them means literally nothing. He's not being paid. His $5.7 million cap hit is not as much money as he's going to be paid in actual dollars uh, thanks to his contract structure. Mm -hmm. The Red Wings needed to add salary in some way, shape, or form and they got a second round pick out of it. This is honestly brilliant work from Steve Eiserman for getting the draft pick. And it's good work from Jeff Gordon. Je- it's Gordon opened up. We're talking about a team here that we've talked about quite often. The New York Rangers? Uh, not the New York Mets. Oh. <laughs> not the New York Mets. A team here who needed to open up salary cap space. And we've been debating Henrik Lundqvist, the, the pros and cons of a Henrik Lundqvist buyout since March. We debated. Weeks on end about Kevin Shattenkirk last year. 
We even debated about Dan Girardi two years ago before that. So it's Jeff Gordon opened up $5.7 million at the price of a second-round pick. Considering the New York Rangers are now going to have three straight years where they won't have a second, their own second-round pick, the work Gordon has put in on those picks, two of them have become Adam Fox, and now one of them has essentially become a way to save salary cap space, not just this year, but next year, because you don't have to buy out Mark Stahl. Considering second-round picks, for the most part, are the extreme versions of lottery tickets, this is this is good business. The New York Rangers are going to get more out of $5.7 million of cap space than they would, most likely, that second-round pick. Absolutely, and we'll talk more about what they might do in that cap space in a couple of minutes here, but let's stick to Mark, right? Um, definitely uh, a butt of a lot of jokes throughout this podcast history of five years yeah. has been, um, would you say the official whipping boy? Dan Girardi kind of had that for a little bit. Like I think Official whipping boy, that belongs to Elaine Vigneault. And I think it'll always be Elaine's chair. He's I don't know who's ever going to come close to making that a conversation. Yeah, we'll see on that one. But uh, Mark Stahl definitely in the top five. That's not even close. Um, yes, top three, that's probably. Correct. But Mark... Uh, was that? Uh, I don't know. I, I think part of our relationship with Rick Carpinello is because of how vehemently we d- disagree on the topic of Mark Stahl. Probably like, but I don't, I don't think, I think there are some people that defended Mark Stahl. Like I understand he was a warrior and et cetera. Like you could say all the nice things about Mark and I'm sure he's like, I, I, I never really met the guy. I don't think I've ever said a word to him. I've like walked past him. That's like the extent of our interactions. Like that's it. Like I'm sure he's a great dude. I'm sure he's awesome in the locker room. I'm sure he's a leader like you said, but on the ice after the eye injury is it's been really, really hard for him. And let's be honest. Early, Mark Stahl was a talented player. I mean, there were uh, there were times where Dan Girardi and Mark Stahl were the two best players almost on the team. Like, those guys were backbones, and they got paid accordingly. Um, it, unfortunately, injuries derailed. Um, I think Dan Girardi blocked, I don't know, 7,000 shots with his face. And Mark Stahl actually blocked a shot with his eye. Um, and I think the, the part that really, to me, sums this up the best for Mark is that uh, he played 999 games as a Ranger, and he just couldn't get to 1,000. And the part that is really even more ironic is, Gregory, there was only once this year where Mark Stahl was a healthy scratch, and that healthy scratch caused him to not get his 1,000th game as a New York Ranger. That's insane. Yeah, it's... The Marks... It almost feels like we're having the exact same Dan Girardi conversation that we're having with Mark Stahl, but it's poignant because it got to a point with both of them where it was actually less about the player's ability. And I I test analytics, whichever one it is. I don't know how you can watch Mark Stahl these last couple of years or Dan Girardi in his last year as a New York Ranger and think to yourself that this is a player that is helping this team in some fashion in terms of the physical on-ice ability. Like the game and father time have just moved past Mark Stahl in a way that's probably unfair. Because again, we're talking about a guy who's only 33 years old. And as someone that is now firmly 31, I don't want to be talked about at the age of 33 like my prime is over. Even though we all understand yes. that once you get past 22, you're in the downside. 2019 of was the prime of Blue breakaway. It's all downhill from here. So there you go. Yeah. So it's, it's difficult. He's, but he's been through the ringer. At the same time, while Henrik Lundqvist deserves a whole lot of praise for 
those Ranger teams from when Lundqvist debuted until today. There were few defensive players or defensemen in the NHL that I would have thought more comfortable with going into a deep playoff run than prime Mark Stahl and prime Dan Girardi. Oh, absolutely. They, they, they were fantastic. They, they, I, there's a, the reason why Mark Stahl got paid $5.7 million annually is not because he's a good guy. The Rangers gave him that contract because he was worth every goddamn penny when they signed him. But like you said, injuries, time, the way the game is played, uh, coaching styles, schemes, a lot of things have worked against Mark Stahl. And towards the end, I mean, before this year, I think you and I would come on this podcast and while we said there were probably scenarios where if the New York Rangers just didn't play Mark Stahl, they would be better off. But the overall theme of our Mark Stahl rants were just that he was getting minutes he shouldn't be playing. No, he gets top-line minutes, like yeah, a was, lot. I, I think two years ago we were making the case that if this is just a guy you used in sheltered third-pair minutes, he'd be fine. It's the fact that the Rangers were relying on him to be a player that he's he just simply is not. He played penalty kill and minutes I, in against Ottawa, man. Like it just wasn't there that like Shea, Shea and Smith were the best players that series. I know we're still talking about it, but like Stalin Holden went out there. <laughs> they were the people for penalty kill. That's insane. How did that yeah, happen? It's it's Mark Stahl became a scapegoat in conversations that we weren't even trying to make Mark Stahl a scapegoat. We were saying Elaine Vigneault was using him incorrectly. And then it got to a point where when the Rangers were making their youth movement. Any coach was using him incorrectly because he just shouldn't have been used like that. We sat here on this podcast and said that one game he he was a healthy scratch for, it was the right move because even if Mark Stahl is better today than Lieber Hayek was in that day, Lieber Hayek is the child that needs to know what it takes to be in the NHL, so he's the one that needs to get ice time. And it's it, it's it's a shame that it's always difficult when – Players who are really good for your favorite team reach a point in their career where they're not, not just impactful, but not even useful. Like it's it's a difficult conversation to have. The Mark Stahl that I was watching in 2010, 2011, 2012, I would have never thought that by 2020 I would be sick and tired of him, that I wouldn't want him on my team. I mean, to be honest, Gregory, that was 2017. Like that's how that's how quickly the decline happened. It was five years, you know. Yeah, it's. It, any long-term contract, I think we've gotten smarter, not just as individuals, but we just have a better understanding the more examples we are given with these long-term late prime contracts where they're probably not going to end the way you would want them to end. But even then, I I would have been pressed to think that it went so bad so quickly for Mark Stahl. He's on it was last week. Was it last week? Someone asked us if we think there would be New York Ranger numbers put in the rafters after Henrik Lundqvist. Yep. That's the reason why two of the only people I can think of are Mark Stahl and Dan Girardi. That's that's not pandering to either of them. They played such a significant role for this team. It's just weird to think about it because you're only going to remember the last handful of years with those guys when they just weren't good enough. They were all right. But that doesn't from for both of them. Mark Stahl plays 13 years with the New York Rangers, not because he's a nice guy, but because for eight of those years, he was really fucking good. I know. I, I'm actually looking at Dan Girardi's age right now. He's 36 this year. Like, there are 36-year-old players in the NHL. You can do it. It's just... Terry Brooks is, Terry 
Brooks is out there saying today the New York Rangers should sign a 39-year-old defenseman. So it's possible. Larry, man. Larry was actually doing defense. Ron Hainsey didn't have that awful of a year. I thought Hainsey was terrible, but not the worst. Yeah, Brooks, he's uh, uh, he's been on fire recently. Just been poo-pooing everything. And I I do not like it. I do not like poo-poo Brooksy. Usually I like when he like has stirs some controversy because at least gives me something to talk about. But it's been like, no, the Raiders can't do that. They can't do this. Can't do that. Why don't you sign a 39-year-old defenseman? I'm okay. Thank you, Brooks. Uh, Let me have some fun. Yeah. Yeah, I just – I Dan LaRose is the one who broke the news to me because, again, I was trying to be social – uh, with a couple of my friends, and by a couple, I mean literally two. Dan, Dan I wanted to friend. give a shout out to Dan because he also texted me. It just said "stall?" Question marks. I think I, you know what, I I want to get the exact words correct. Yeah. Uh, from Dan, but there was a solid twenty-five minutes at the bar where I just was unable to create more words to talk to my friends. Well, it's like okay, so the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh, he, he said, and all, all he said was, so you were saying about stall. I was like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Anyway. Um, I, I know the Toronto Maple Leafs just like pretty much ga- got a first round pick for a salary dump too. It's a little different. I mean, the, I mean, sorry, the Pittsburgh Penguins in that situation, but that's not really a salary dump. That's a good player, but it still feels like no. a, a ton of value. Got that first round pick. Yes. Yeah, so Le- that's what I said. So the, the Penguins salary dumped. In this case. Oh, rather they took on. The Leafs did. Yes. Yeah. You're using a bad example here because the Leafs needed to move salary Mm -hmm. and yet still somehow got the first round pick out of the trade. Right. That's true. Weird. Still weird. I don't know what the Penguins are doing. But it seems like really good value for the Rangers to trade a second overall, uh, next second overall, second round pick for Mark Stahl in this case. And it's sad to see him go. He's been such an integral part of the show for an integral part of the show for such a long, long time. Since the beginning, really. And it really comes down to now it's just Henrik. And Chris Kreider from the first show. That's it. Very fast was there too. Oh, Jesper. That's true. Sorry, Jesper. The young son. This is big, this, this big for Jesper Foss because we were looking. What? We've been talking about how the Rangers might have to pay $3.5 million to keep Jesper Foss and how ridiculous that honestly felt. Yeah, so let's talk about some Opening of the fallout, up, right? Yeah, the, the two big ones for me were Jesper. I, I think this plays great for Jesper in terms of the Rangers finding enough money to keep him plus addressing their other needs. Uh, Sadly, and this breaks my heart to say, this likely takes the Rangers out of Sorelli and Sergachev straight up offer sheets. Breaks the Uh, heart of Gregory. It does. I mean, again, all of those... All of those possibilities... Barzal, by the way, still firmly on the table. Not too worried about that one. (laughs) Uh, But honestly, if someone really pressed me and, and asked... Do you think the Rangers would offer sheet either Sorelli or Sergeyev? No, because it's the NHL and no one gets offer sheeted. But when you uh, take away the they? Rangers, yes. second, when the when you take away the Rangers' second round pick, there's no way for the Rangers to now shop in the middle. That six to eight million dollar offer sheet, you need to give up your own first, second, and third round picks in 2021. It's hard to do when you're the New York Rangers because now you don't have your own second first uh, second round pick. And it's not like you're going to give Sergeyev or Sorelli $9 million off the shoot to really go shopping in that first deep water bracket that you need to go shopping in. Um, but to be fair, with the open cap space, New York Rangers now become a more ideal trade partner for someone like the Tampa Bay Lightning, where the Rangers can bring those guys in and not have to worry about, 
whether they'd have the money to sign either of them. So on one hand, offer sheet off the table. On the other hand, those type of players, if the New York Rangers can trade for them, which they have the assets to do it, even with trading a second-round pick. They called about Eichel. They called. You know, it's a big deal. Yeah, the Eichel stuff today is great. That's fucking hilarious. Oh, honestly, dude, to me, that plants the seeds. Like, it's coming. Uh, Gordon's going to be calling every single day for the next two years. Like, is it ready yet? You time? You, what do you want to do? Really good it's, Good weather up there in Buffalo. I just, the, thing, the thing I love most about the Eichel stuff is uh, the non-Ranger fan guys on analytics Twitter who break down every trade, who create report cards on these guys. And in every trade, they're mesmerized every time. Mesmerized every time that a tra- a, tra- a team would want to trade for a guy that is an absolute nothing. But not just trade for that absolute nothing. Give up meaningful assets to acquire the absolute nothing. And then those same guys go out there and go, oh, but what do you expect the Rangers to actually trade for Eichel? As if you didn't just literally do report cards on seven trades where one team stinks. Like, the way people treat hypoth- – not all people. Not all people. There are not all people. people. On both sides. Hashtag not all people. Hashtag not all people. But there are people on hockey Twitter that on one hand can't understand what a realistic hypothetical is for Jack Eichel. And it's ridiculous. A a real every other league trade that isn't Bill O'Brien creating the trade in this regard. You you, you give up the first round pick for Jack Eichel. the, The number one overall pick, not number 22. Like that's a realistic want if you're the Buffalo Sabres. But this is the National Hockey League. There are dumb GMs everywhere. Mike Matheson was just traded, right? Mm-hmm. People don't like Marcus Johansson, and he was traded straight up for Eric Stahl. You look at the entirety of the Leafs-Penguins trade where Kapanen got a first-round pick. We're not. You can't act like dumb trades aren't made. Just because it's Jack Eichel doesn't mean you're going to be safe yeah. from a dumb this, trade. Next. This isn't your fantasy league. And it's show me a situation where a player wanted out, where it worked out well for the team that, that the player wanted out from. There's really not that but many it's just, examples. It's two conversations, right? It, the one conversation is what should it honestly take to, to trade for Jack Eichel? The correct answer is just about everything, but you have to also then have the NHL equivalency conversation there where the Buffalo Sabres, Traded Ryan O'Reilly for literally a bag of potato chips. And every chip is stale. Like it's <laughs> we can't we can't act like just because it would take a lot to us, normal, well thought out human beings, we understand that it should take just about everything to trade for Jack Eichel. We all agree. That doesn't mean it actually will. Like, could the Rangers get Eichel for Strom, 22 overall, Kravsov, and D'Angelo? Maybe, maybe because we have evidence to suggest that NHL GMs are dumb. I couldn't be more like, with you, totally I think our guest is coming up soon. Otherwise, I want to. Continue. I would like to have this conversation for like twenty more minutes, if I'm being honest. But we have. I mean, we can have it with Murat too. Yeah, why not? Uh, so Murat, uh, Murat Atesh, who voted for Adam Fox for the Calder, and our, is also our good friend of the podcast, coming up next. Um, he'll be on in a minute. So let's take a quick break here from our sponsors, and then Murat joins us. We'll come back and do five star questions at the end of the show. All right, transition. Week 3 of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for Week 4. There's no better place to get on all the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. 
To add to the excitement of Week 4, DraftKings Sportsbook is bringing back their can't-miss offer. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, head to the App Store now because you don't want to miss this. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new users a chance to turn $1 into $100 with any bet on any team. That's right, you can place $1 bet on any team, and if that team wins, you can cash a cool Benjamin. How could you pass up on that? Don't worry if football isn't for you. DraftKings is giving you all you basketball fans a 200% profit boost on any basketball market once you sign up. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the, dra- the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code QUICK when you sign up. And you can't miss this offer. You, and you just can't. Pick any team during week four. Bet $1 on them and win $100 if they win. That's $1 to win $100 when you use promo code QUICK during sign-up for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 years or older. New Jersey only. Profit boost terms of condition and eligibility extra- restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Back to the show. Hey, we're back with our first and only guest of the day. We have our good friend Murat Atesh. He's the writer for the Athletic, a beat writer for the Winnipeg Jets, and our good friend of the show, a reoccurring, reoccurring guest, rather. Murat, how are you doing? I'm doing just fine, gentlemen. Thanks for having me back. Uh, it's been a while, and I've missed you. Oh wow, I'm, I'm melting inside. Uh, we. <laughs> to be to be fair, though, the reason I don't think we've talked in a couple months is because there aren't Jacob Truba theoretical trades to work out anymore. <laughs> yeah, the the amount of wheeling and dealing between the the two clubs that we follow it has definitely dissipated. Maybe that's it. Maybe you just needed me for the information. It wasn't uh, it wasn't about the great conversations that we've had all of these years. I think you're the most mentioned guest that's not a guest on the show. Like, I think you're the person we cite the most of. Like, hey, I wonder what he's up to. Like, on random episodes that have nothing to do with the Jets at all. Well, I appreciate that, and I also realize that I've just come on your show for the first time in a long time, and I've just passive-aggressively kind of shite-talked. Uh, <laughs> so let, let me rewind and tell you how, how happy I am to, to be back wow. and, uh, and talk about hockey in whatever form you, you, you guys want to go with. Well, let's start with the obvious. Last week, I actually misreported, as a, a fake reporter that I am for The Athletic, that uh, it was a different person, Sean Shapiro, who actually voted for Adam Fox for the Calder. I misread what Sean said. And it turned out to be you, to my heart's joy. And during that episode, we were like, we have to get him on next week. Um, Because you were the lone vote for Adam Fox. And I think you went out of the limb by doing that. Obviously, you were the lone vote. Uh, We were obviously, again, big stands of Adam Fox on this podcast, mostly because we cover New York Rangers. And I do think he was underrated in the Calder vote. I think he deserved third at least. But you gave him first. So we kind of wanted to talk about your rationale behind that and your thoughts on what went into that process of making that vote, rather. For sure. And and to put Fox at the top like I did um, is not meant to take away from the incredible seasons of Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes. I mean, the the amount of talent that there was, the, the legendary offensive seasons that existed, I mean, those are going to be talked about for the ages, and they absolutely should be. Um, but for me, when I started looking at how to balance all the different all the different factors, all the different things that you look into. And certainly Fox was third of three in terms of point production. And that's whether you go uh, per minute, it's whether you go totals at the end of the year. He came in a little bit behind uh, either of his two competitions. But you start getting into sort of the analytics a little bit. And what you realize is that his impact on expected goals at both ends of the ice, his impact on shot attempts at both ends of the ice 
was just superlative in a way that not even Kel McCarr, the winner of the trophy, um, can can match. And with the state of New York's defense, um, I thought that that was absolutely remarkable. And it wasn't just an analytics thing either, which I've been accused of as well. But as you guys well know, Jacob Truba and Neil Pionk were traded for each other last year. Neil Pionk has done really well in Winnipeg. Jacob Truba has struggled in New York. And so, of course, I had to ask myself the question, why is this happening? And it involved a lot of watching of, of New York's video, a lot of questioning of transition defense, a lot of questioning about defense in New York altogether. And that Fox could come out of that situation with such a positive impact on scoring chances at both ends of the ice, no matter what the context is. In the end, I thought he had the biggest impact on actually winning hockey games at the end of the day uh, of the top three Calder Trophy winners or, pardon me, finalists. Murat, that beautifully dovetails into my next question for you. Uh, Ryan and I, obviously, not important enough to ever have a vote on anything. Nope. But... We, we sure do enjoy talking about uh, most valuable player races, almost exclusively enjoy that the most when we talk about baseball. And I think Ryan would agree with me when, when I say that I usually allow wins above replacement to dictate how I would set up my ballot before getting into other aspects. I'm curious as to what your voting criteria is for not just the Calder, but also the Hart or the Selkie. Do, is it because... Uh, as you mentioned that a couple people on the interwebs may have come at you for being purely um, analytic. That's clearly not the case. So why don't we, why don't we clear the air? What is your voting process like? Yeah, it goes a word by a word. So when it's, when we're talking about um, let's use the heart trophy as an example, you know, I'm looking for the most valuable player as I interpret it. So the first thing I start doing is I play the, what would happen without you game? What would happen without Artemi Panarin on the New York Rangers? And I think that the answer to that would be absolutely terrible things would have happened to the New York Rangers mm-hmm. without Panarin on the ice. But my number one vote went to Connor Hellebuck because Winnipeg gave up the most shot quality in the NHL night in and night out. He saved the most goals above expectation in the NHL by nearly twice as much, if not more than twice as much as the second highest competitor for that. Um, and as uh, as somebody who is well acquainted with Jets video as well, I haven't seen a a, a, a more important goaltending display uh, in 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 ages. Uh, and then to have that quantified and, and being able to measure in terms of you know expected goals and all those other things, and then find that here is a player that single handedly swung the goal differential of his team by more than anyone else by far. It was impossible for me to spend the entire year railing against the Jets defense as I did talking about the mat like the most shot quality against as I did and then look at the results look at Hellebuck's uh, performance and say anything other than that Winnipeg's ninth seed in the west and the amount of success they were able to have was solely dependent on this one player and by my definition that's the most valuable player in the National Hockey League whether it's a playoff spot or not, uh, he helped his team more than anyone else uh, to, to my way of thinking. Do you think that certain, I guess not certain, but do you think that voters and rather the NHL as a whole values overall team winning instead of individual player performance during these votes? Because I've always sort of felt that way. I thought baseball for a long time valued the quote unquote winning side of it. And since then they've kind of just gone to uh, 
even though, even though they've gotten more analytics uh, based at, at the over the last like I don't know five six years, it's been more like who's the best player, and I think that's kind of what the argument you just made. But I, I think we're still sort of stuck in the hey, which team is the one or two seed in, in this case? Yeah, you know what? I, I think a lot of people in the back of their mind when they make let's say a heart trophy vote. It has to be a great player and a famously great player, and it has to be from a playoff team. So there is this cutoff that we have in our minds that, okay, if they're part of a good team and they have success, that's valid for most valuable player. And I honestly, I respect that argument. I respect that perspective. It's not the one that I have. I I don't think that uh, Connor Hellebuck is any less important, I mean, to the Winnipeg Jets' success, for example, because the Jets finished ninth as opposed to eighth or better in the Western Conference uh, when you go by points percentage. Um, and I, I honestly think that it's very important, as long as we can all kind of put our arguments forward and explain why, such that we can debate each other and, and the process continually gets better every single year, I respect and admire the diversity of voting strategies and thoughts um, that go into it. So if somebody needed you know, Dreisaitl's team to make the playoffs before they thought that he was worthy, I, I can respect that even if I think that, you know, he gave up a lot of offense at the other end of the rink as well. And, and that's what kept him lower on my ballot. Do some, I'm sure someone will look at this and, and consider the question I'm about to pose as an attack on some people in the media. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I guess that's up to them to determine. Uh, <laughs> oh boy. Does, yeah. does it, he, does it hurt? Does it hurt at all in your mind that if the Oilers were to lose Leon Dreisaitl, and all of those points he was putting up at any point of the year, do you think there's still a playoff team without him? I think they're much closer to a playoff team without him. And I, I don't know how to, I'm not a wizard. I can't see that future and I'm not willing to try to metric it. Um, but they're much closer to that than Winnipeg without Connor Hellebuck or New York without Artemi Panarin. Or um, even and the, Colorado. Colorado without Nathan McKinnon. Absolutely. I was just going to say there's more examples of players like that. So I think from my way of thinking, from the, what would happen without him test that is my heart trophy ballot. I, I think dry slides, slides, uh, slides a fair bit. He's still obviously an exceptional player who had a wonderful season and deserves accolades, but he's not my most valuable player of the season. Uh, let me, let me allow me to double down on that question. Then uh, do you think the Edmonton Oilers this year in this calendar season that we had, would they have been more hurt without dry or more hurt without McDavid? Oh boy. Um, I assume that the answer to that when I really dig deep and, and study it is Connor McDavid because of the superlative player that he is and the fact that if you split them up and put them on two different lines, I still don't believe that the best uh, checkers and defenders go against Dreisaitl instead of McDavid. Maybe maybe the evidence would prove me wrong in that particular front. This isn't something I've studied, uh, but I just think that in terms of single-handedly changing the game, uh, I, I have more weight on Connor McDavid uh, at all strengths. That's a guy that could win the heart every single year for the rest of his life. Like he's that maybe good, he, maybe good he deserves player. to. Yeah, maybe he deserves. You to. can make a case, but the dry saddle thing to me is still. Bo- I'm still angry about this. If you couldn't tell, Murat. Um it's, <laughs> it's the dry saddle thing doesn't make any sense to me. I'm sure he had a terrific year, points, etc. Awesome player, definitely top five to top seven in the league this year, no doubt about it. But I, I think the way you. You and, and some others have voted in the hard conversation is the way it should be. It's the most valuable player. And when you have, you could have two most valuable players from a team, but 
to use a basketball analogy, like this wasn't Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. They weren't the number one and number two best player in the league all year. That just wasn't it. They weren't the number one seed. They didn't dominate everybody. It's not like a dynasty team. Like this isn't it, that this isn't that situation. It's not Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messier. It's not that. So how do we get how do how does everyone have them one and two on their ballots? I think how many ballots were there, Greg? Like nine ballots had them one and two. Um, I don't think it, I think it was only five ballots had them one and two. I doubled it in my mind because that's how angry I was. But yes, <laughs> uh, I I, uh, I regress here. It's 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 a situation where I, I'm glad that you vote the way you do, and I think that's the kind of the, the route I would take is you you got to look at who's most valuable to their team, and that that's the way the situation should usually be with it when it comes to at least the hard trophy. Well, I think that there's there's a philosophical difference between what's the most impressive. And what had the most positive impact? What's actually the best? And there's a difference to me between what the best is and what the most impressive is. And that's kind of what creeps Adam Fox to me back towards that um, that number one vote uh, over a player like Kale McCarr, who is, I'm going to go ahead and say, the more impressive, more spectacular player, more points, better offense, all of those sorts of things. But when you look at the contextual factors, and if you lean on our APM, uh, like, like I do rate adjusted plus minus, um, if you look at the threat model at hockey viz or the, the models that evolving hockey as well. And then you also marry that to video and study just the context that a player was playing in. Well, maybe a better season was just had by Fox, despite the fact that it was less visually impressive and less electric on a night in and night out basis. Um, and, I, I have so much more time for players like a Mark Stone type who, who will never have the offense of, you know, a Dreisaitl or a McDavid, but who gives so little back because he works so hard at both ends of the ice, knocks so many plays down, um, wins battles in all three zones at both blue lines, plays such an intelligent game. When you add it all up, his impact on the game is just incredible, but I don't think anybody's ever going to shortlist him for the Hart Trophy. <sighs> I I just want to say that I can talk awards with you and award voting uh, probably for the next three hours on end. But in the interest of your limited time with us and the interest of our fans not throwing their phones through the wall because Leon Dreisaitl won the Hart Trophy, um, I, it, we'd be remiss to bring you on and not talk about hypothetical trades. Now I will. Oh no. <laughs> well, no, I'm gonna Ryan. I'm gonna I'm gonna immediately caveat here and say. For the first time in what feels like 17 years, I don't think there's a match between the Jets and the Rangers. But that doesn't mean the Jets don't have maybe arguably the most intriguing trade chip that isn't named Jack Eichel. And that's Patrick Laine. Murat, what is going on with Patrick Laine? Well, if you look at where Winnipeg is contextually in the NHL with respect to its window to win right now, and you look at the problems that they have, their top four defense consists of Josh Morrissey, Neil Pionk, and Tucker Pullman and Carl Dahlstrom. And without any backup for those players, really it's just Pionk and Morrissey with any track record at all. And Pionk's track record is one year long, succeeding in a top four role. There are clear holes there, and nobody knows, you know, even with free agent options, if Winnipeg can, can patch that up. We don't yet know. Dylan DeMello hasn't been signed. Um, free agency hasn't begun. There are huge holes. Winnipeg needs two top four defenders to compete. Uh, and how, we don't know where that's going to come from. Up front, everybody talks about how great Winnipeg's forwards are. But 
with Brian Little's injury situation and his decline due to age, as has already happened prior to his head injury last season, um, there's a huge hole at second line center. I don't know that that's as much of an emergency to me either, but, or sorry, as the defense is, pardon me, but Winnipeg has massive needs. Uh, They have four years left on Mark Shifley's brilliant $6 contract, four years left on Blake Wheeler's contract, four years left on Connor Hellebuck's contract. There is a window to win in Winnipeg, even if they had such an an awful year um, this past season with losing so many defensemen and Dustin Bufflin and everything that went on. So there's this there's this movement movement towards urgency in Winnipeg right now. Four years to win, and the the change starts now. So the Jets are 100% listening to any and all offers for any and all players right now. That includes Patrick Lining. Absolutely, it does. It also includes Nick Ehlers. And the idea would be to use a huge chip like that to try to patch up, um, you know, the defense, uh, the a more defensively responsible impact player for center as well. Um, and I got to be honest, I, I can see, how do I say this? I don't want to turn this into too long of a monologue here before I, I, I let you guys voice your thoughts from, from New York, but I can see reasons to believe why Patrick Liney won't be in Winnipeg long-term, even if they don't trade him, uh, this, this off season. Well, that's what we're kind of hoping. I don't have as many thoughts on Liney because I don't think the Rangers have really any chance of acquiring him or, and I don't think they're in, they're in his plans, their plans rather. Um, but in this case, I'm hoping that's the same deal for Jack Eichel is that he's not long-term for <laughs> Buffalo and rather he's uh, a case for New York. But uh, I'm sure Gregory, you have more thoughts on when it comes to line. A. Well, actually I, I, I think Marat's last point was going to be my next thought where do you think that the contentiousness that was, Line A's restricted free agency and those contract negotiations. Do you think, I guess I'll make it two parts. Do you think one, that negotiation being as difficult that it was makes the Jets more confident Line A is here until he reaches unrestricted free agency? And two, do you think the Jets just think it's easier to keep Kyle Connor, even if Kyle Connor, maybe I, I personally think Kyle Connor is the more dependable player moving forward they're going to be a lot less ebbs and flows I think what you get is what you get uh but do you think the Jets are just more prepared to build with Connor than they are Patrick Line for a variety of reasons well they've certainly committed to Kyle Connor via the long-term contract and big minutes in all three situations right I mean he since breaking into the NHL on a full-time basis in 2017-18, Kyle Connor has played top-line minutes at even strength and the power play, and more recently at on the penalty kill as well. There's a tremendous amount of commitment. The contract is what it is. It's a long-term deal, reasonable dollars in, in, in the $7 million range as well. Um, and there's quite a trust between him and Paul Maurice as well. So I think that Kyle Connor's future in Winnipeg is, is safe. Um, the, the interesting thing for me with Patrick Laine, I, I don't think that his contract talks were automatically more contentious, even though they resulted in a two-year bridge deal um, last September that we're one year away from the end of right now. I don't think that that's necessarily why I believe that his future might be short-lived. It's, uh, it's that as we stand right now, Winnipeg has three years of control. The first year, but this next season that happens, he's under contract. Then he has arbitration rights. If he chooses to go to arbitration, as I believe he probably will without any uh, without a long-term deal signed before then, Winnipeg 
has the choice between two years or one year. Two years walks him to unrestricted free agency right away. That's a no-go. So they're going to choose one-year arbitration award. Well, the last player who used arbitration to get to within one year of unrestricted free agency in Winnipeg was named Jacob Truba. And the reason he did that was to get that big payday in New York. Uh, and there's a thought that Patrick Laine is like kind of a new thinker in terms of... Uh, in terms of his ambition financially for his career, all these sorts of things that he's going to try to maximize his unrestricted free agency opportunity as early as possible. There's a, a model laid forward in, in the Jacob Truba model as well, though that had extenuating circumstances. And if you're Winnipeg sitting here today and you have any question in your mind at all about line a going that arbitration route and sort of forcing the hand towards free agency, constantly doing these show me deals, looking for that big payday, you might think to yourself, well, he's a very shiny asset and scores lots of goals. Maybe there's a way to make a more sustainable fix for our club going forward. I think that's loaded with risk, but I can at least begin to see the argument from Winnipeg's point of view. Very interesting. I, I know he's sort of the top uh, trade watch from, uh, you have to say that when you're yelling, I think, trade watch from TSN. I think he's the top <laughs> of the board. Um, so we'll see how the next couple months play out with Line A. Uh, one thing I've actually been pretty curious about is that the original lottery ball belonged to the Winnipeg Jets, and then somehow the New York Rangers stole it. What was sort of the fan reaction to that, um, to the the first lottery drawing when it would it should have been technically the Winnipeg uh, Winnipeg Jets' first overall pick? You know, I saw a lot of like offhand remarks about it, but not a lot of rage in the long run for whatever reason. Like I I think that Winnipeg fans are so devoted and so diehard that by all means. Someone in this city right now, as I sit here talking to you, is seething about that as we're speaking right now. But it didn't reach kind of a crest on the internet. It didn't become a hot take factory. It didn't become something that made its way into the athletic comment section every single time I wrote about it or anything to that effect. I think it's more just a fun, curi well, an entirely unfun curiosity for Jets fans right now. We're pretty pumped, just so you know. Do you feel like you stole something? Is that like is that where that comes from? Do you feel like a little? Uh, I felt a little like giddy, I was a little lucky. I felt blessed for Kako. This one feels like theft. You know what I mean? <laughs> like this is a total. Like this, the first one was like I earned this, yay. The second one was like, oh, this feels dirty. This is wrong. Well, no, you're not the Edmonton Oilers yet at this stage of the game. So I mean, you can accept your Hall and your Nugent Hopkins and your everybody else and your Yakupov, but but maybe maybe McDavid is that one step too far. I don't think uh, I don't think New York is anywhere near that that run of lottery uh, brilliance quite yet. No, not yet. We've got two. You know, you know what I'm realizing? And it, it's actually it's actually made me a little wistful and a little sad. <laughs> We've had Murat on this podcast for a, a good amount of time. He's told us about how the Winnipeg Jets desperately need help in their top four in order to be competitive. And we don't have Mark Stahl anymore to joke about in these kind it. of trades. It's tough. <laughs> you can't do it. It's over. End of an era. The dream's over. That's it. There's nothing left. No, what? I mean, I, we could offer you Brandon Smith for a year. That's about, that's about the most <laughs> we could do. How is Neil doing? I guess that's my my maybe one of my last questions. Like, I know you said they faced the most shots this year. Uh, Rangers were good at doing that too. But uh, so I'm glad that Neil kind of kept that tradition. What's his play been like, and what's his been reception been in uh in as a Jet? Well, you know what he had just such an impressive season compared to what my expectations for him were. Because after, you know, looking through the data from last season and, and kind of talking to, to people like you and other observers, writers, uh, scouts and everything to this effect, you know, the, the consensus was uh, a year ago right now, the consensus was 
he was a, a good power play player. He had some wheels at four on four, but if you were trusting him to defend inside your top four, you were going to be in, uh, in a world of hurt and a world of trouble. Um, and I think we realized fairly early on in Winnipeg, a couple months in, that the way the Jets had structured their defense, and there was a huge, huge focus, no matter what pairing you were on, of, of gapping tightly at the blue line, giving up, you know, that chip and 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 losing a lot of dump and chase sort of battles, but making sure that the puck was challenged within a step of the blue line every single time. Well, I, I countered it out, and Neil Pionk was among Winnipeg's best defenders at challenging the blue line. And then what I realized quickly after watching those and cutting the video of it was he was moving laterally. Um, you know, if somebody was trying to take a step at him, he could move in all four directions, we'll call it, forwards, backwards, and to either side. Um way more smoothly and efficiently than I anticipated heading into the year. So there were a lot of moments where, you know, his size cost him a battle here or there. There were moments where he sort of thought that he had a read and he could chase something in the corner and win it. Uh, he had, there was a goal against, uh, against Calgary in the playoffs that, uh, that looked really quite badly on him. But the total body of work was impressive. He was full value for a top four role, second pairing right-handed defenseman. Uh, and he had enough points on the power play to justify his minutes there too. I don't think he's all of a sudden, I don't think he's a guaranteed top pairing guy or the guy to, that the Jets should be building around. But if they can build a solid veteran presence uh, around that top four and he's on the second pairing, I think they've done just fine. As you, As someone who says you ended up watching a lot of Rangers tape this year and it, was one of the reasons it helped you vote Adam Fox number one in the Calder. Uh, are you more willing to prescribe this year of Jacob Truba as an adjustment period, or do you think there's actual reason to be concerned as New York Ranger fans? I think that the Jacob Truba you get is going to be somewhere between Jacob Truba from Winnipeg and Jacob Truba that you just experienced. And I know that that's a wide, that's that's a pretty wide spectrum and, and, and throwing a dart almost guarantees it'll land between those two poles. But the, the chemistry he had with Josh Morrissey was incredible. I mean, in, in terms of the communication that um, you could hear them calling out on the ice, the, the reads and reacts when they were playing man-to-man and the question was whether to switch guys or um, stay with who you had or whether it was net front or the corner, whatever the switch was being called, those two players did it perfectly. It was a, it was a tremendous amount of chemistry. And I think Morrissey missed Truba in a big way, especially in the first half of the season as well. Um, and I think that what what you'll find with Truba is that it, it'll take him a little bit of time to to sort of develop chemistry with his new partners. Um, and uh, I don't think he'll ever get back to that fifty point plateau because I don't think he's he's going to be a New York's or anybody's best bet on the power play for an extended period of time. But I really believe that there should be you know a quality top four defenseman there, somebody who can play against tough matchups and win them uh, as soon as he gets that chemistry sorted out. Sort of what we're hoping. I'm out of questions, yeah. Gregory. Any any further for you? Well, I was just going to say, good news for Jacob Truba is he still doesn't have a defensive partner. <laughs> As things stand right now, it is Brandon Smith, which uh, problematic, problematic, tough times. Not going to be around to form chemistry very longer. Been reading my Rick Carpinello of late, and yeah, it seems like there's quite a lot of moving parts on the blue line right now. There's a lot of moving sure parts in shooting. general. So we'll see how all that goes. Uh, Murat, thank you so much for joining us on this wonderful Monday night. Hope all is well with you. And uh, how? what is your last uh, before winter celebration like? My last before winter celebration? Um, I, I've just been... Do you guys know... Uh, so my life has become dog fostering. I, we do in know. The, 
<laughs> that's great I, I tweet about it there's yeah yeah follow wpg marat on twitter for hockey uh, but mostly for dog pictures um so i've been fostering dogs and as long as we've got nice weather it's been you know three walks a day and, and quite long ones as well so that's that's my understated uh way of celebrating the fact that it's still kind of summery around here right now honestly that's i was gonna ask so it cute. hasn't it hasn't snowed there yet that's kind of surprising <laughs> give it a week we'll see <laughs> Thank you so much. We'll talk to you uh, soon. You're always a pleasure, my friend. Hey, thanks very much. All right, we're back. Love that dude. Legit. Follow him around he's, if you don't. He's too good for us. Like the, there, there have been people on this podcast where you and I have reflected on after the interview and have said stuff along the lines of that dude is too good to give us time. I think we said it about Mike Murphy literally Ryan, every time that guy talks Ryan to Clark. us. Clark. Uh, 100% Ryan Clark. But Ryan Clark at least gives a shit, right? Murat <laughs> yeah. felt bad about the two seconds he gave a shit and was like, I'm so sorry. I will never do he that. He also called it shite talking, in case you're wondering. So It sure did. I still, my favorite, my favorite behind the scenes Murat story is when we were trying to talk to him, probably in the aftermath of the True Betrayed. And he's like, I oh, DM'd yes. him saying, we DM'd him asking if he'd come on the podcast. A full day went by, and we had this entire paragraph from Murat that was an apology for him hiking through the mountains of Spain and that there is no <laughs> cell service, but he will find cell service if we absolutely need him. And I was like, buddy, no, enjoy your hike. We will talk when you get back. There's a lot of time. Oh, man. All right, let's so get the kind of guy he is, though. He would literally, literally hiking through the mountains in Spain. The dude is apologizing to us for not being available. Are you kidding me? Unbelievable. All right. Uh, five-star questions. Saving them for the end of the show. Might be a new segment. Might do the five-star segments at the end now. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Everything's fluid right now. Stay tuned. Uh, this is, we got a couple uh, off the back here. If you want to leave one, go to iTunes, leave a five-star question, read them on the show. I'm sure we'll have a bunch next week with uh, a lot of things happening in Rangerstown. This is from Nagan 26 Hey guys, first time, long time, upstate New Yorker, currently in Sharks territory, yes, upstate Saratoga country, shout out to Greg. I know you've talked ad nauseum about the offer sheet targets in Tampa, but now that we're here, with the with the thoughts of your recent guest from Tampa, I'm assuming they're talking about Matthew Estevez in mind, I was wondering how you guys think the different outcomes for the finals of the Bolt affects Sergachev or, or Sorelli responds to a potential offer sheet for the Rangers. For instance, if they win, are they more open to sign a mate and sign an offer sheet and become a major piece for the blue shirts because they, well, they won a cup already or does the sting push the, uh, push the sting of the loss, push it another way and force them to remain in Tampa because of the culture, etc. Well, I think the culture is the thing there. It from everything Matt has told us from everything we've been able to understand about Tampa Bay. That's just a room of guys that love playing with each other. So it's, I don't think win or lose. If they lose, I can only see it being worse for the Rangers um, I, because they will want to go at it again with this group of guys and they'll want, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll want one for Stamkos. They'll want one for Kucherov. They'll want one for Vasilevsky. I think, I think it will be worse if the, I mean, by the time you're listening to this, the Tampa lightning could have already raised the Stanley cup considering they're playing right now. Yep. Um, as a Ranger fan, I think you should want the lightning to win because I think winning makes it as Weird as this sounds to say, winning makes it easier to leave because it's like mission accomplished. We did our thing. Now I can go chase the bag a little bit. Um, I'm sure there will still be some, well, now I want to run it back with vibes as well. But 
I can only see the Lightning blowing this series lead as those guys being stubborn and wanting to stay. This is a, a Tampa, very popular in the five-star questions. This is from Rangers Forever. Hey, guys, a, a name that I haven't seen floated out much in terms of center options who may be cap casualties is Steven Stamkos. Oof. With Tampa Bay, a decent bet to win the Cup, which, again, they're playing right now. They could win it tonight. Um Stamkos to having ever skated in these playoffs, or not really, rather. His contract being ridiculous, not ridiculously astronomical at $8.5 million over the next four years. Do you think it's worth whatsoever, and what would it take to get him? What do you think it would take to get him? What is Tampa, if Tampa eats any salary? Thanks, guys. Love the show. I don't think Tampa gives him up, right? They just There's no chance. Not just that, but uh, as much as I like Steve Stamkos as a player, a 30-year-old with four years left at $8.5 million annually, coming off such a major injury that he can't play in a Stanley cup final. Yeah. Like how many stories do we hear about these guys playing with literal amputations and still playing in the Stanley dislocated cup? So jaws foots. Yeah. I have to ask if he's physically unable to play in a Stanley cup final, the injury must be so severe that we're going to be shocked. He can even walk. Uh, yeah. I'd, I'd honestly not, not only do I just don't think that he's ever going to be available to trade from the lightning, I don't know why you would want to trade for him right now. I can't imagine his value being super high on the trade market. This is from Shore Chief. I agree with you, by the way. Uh, this is from Shore Chief. Hi, guys. What do you guys think about Brian Dumoulin on the left-handed defenseman for Pittsburgh? He's 29, coming off a $4.1 million contract. Seems like a good fit for our left side for a two- to three-year contract short-term. Thanks. I appreciate the podcast. I think that they're going to give that money to Tony. I, I think they're going to give a two-year deal, a bridge deal to Tony, and they're going to try and give a one-year deal to Strom. And maybe they're going to try and try Tony on the on the left side this year, and they might try and just play Hayek. I, I don't think Dumoulin is, is on their uh, their radar. I, I'm not sure they're looking to give money more than two. It may be two years, maybe, but if they do, two years is the max they give to Dumoulin. Well, for, forget about whether you think the Rangers should or shouldn't want Brian Dumoulin. I, there's nothing to suggest that the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to trade him. I don't think the Pittsburgh Penguins have made the moves they've made already this year with the mindset of trading someone they consider integral to their roster like Brian Dumoulin. Dumoulin is not the guy that is going to get traded out of Pittsburgh. They'll do something with Jack Johnson that either you or I don't understand. They'll walk away from other players. Uh, I think they'd walk away from Chris Letang, even though he plays the different side uh, of the ice than they would Brian Dumoulin. I I'm, I wouldn't consider a whole lot of – I'm not going to give a lot of time thinking about what it would take to get Dumoulin because I don't see a scenario in which he's available. Let me put it that way. Johnny B. Goods asks, hey guys, love the show. Seeing rumors of a possible trading partner for Hank. If we trade Hank to another team, uh, so no, I think that we've answered something like this before. Pretty much if we trade Hank to another team and they buy him out, would we be able to resign him on a are we able to resign him on a cheaper contract? Possibly trading Georgiev in the process of getting more back. Don't know if this is possible, but would love to hear your thoughts. I think there's something that stops you from re-signing the player you traded. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think uh, I don't know the the actual no, terminology. I mean, Wait, resign it how? Like if they trade him and then he gets bought out? Yes. No, that happened like two years ago with Brooks Orpik, remember? Yes, you are correct. I, now I remember. With, uh, the Capitals, right? Yes. yes. Um, look, it's hard for us to sit here right now and say, I don't think there's an NHL team out there that would trade for Henrik Lundqvist to acquire one year at $4.5 million because we just saw what uh, happened with Mark Stahl. I will say the difference between what happened with Mark Stahl and what happened with Henrik Lundqvist is if the New York Rangers, the New York Rangers basically 
New York Rangers themselves, the PR they've created around Henrik Lundqvist has made it sound like they have no choice but to buy him out. So if you're another team that wants Henrik Lundqvist, why don't you just wait? Because the Rangers have made this bed for themselves. It's almost, in a way, I'd have to go back and listen. I don't think this is how it was when it comes to Kevin Shattenkirk this time last year, but it's gotten to the point with the Rangers where if they had wanted to trade Henrik Lundqvist, they have gone about this entirely the wrong way. For sure. Because they they have made it seem like they have no choice but to buy him out. So if you're another team, I don't know why you would risk. I think it's a smarter risk getting Henrik Lundqvist post-buyout at somewhere in the $2 million range than trying to guarantee yourself Henrik Lundqvist at four and a half. Couldn't agree more. Last one from uh, DC from Long Island. What is your take on the possibility of reuniting with Derek Stepan? Arizona seems desperate to shed cap. If the Coyotes are willing to retain 50% of his, of his $6.5 million contract, what assists would the Rangers have to, uh, what assets, I'm pretty sure that's supposed to be, what is assets would the Rangers have to give up in return? Stepan at one year, $3.2 million, sounds better than having Strom at one or two point five two years at $5 million. I think that's interesting. I'm not sure they would have to give up a lot to get Stepan back, but... I'm just looking up how Stepan played this last year on Hockey Viz currently. I, th- I think he would be suitable on the third line if he if they believe Heedle can be a second line center. But Heedle has to be a second line center. That's that's absolutely a fact. And then you'd be super pissed off when Brett Howden was starting on the third line center and Derek Stepan was playing the fourth line. So there you go. That would be that's my take on it. I don't think it happens. Will- Otherwise, I think it would be fun, but I don't think it happens. From everything we've been able to find out about the Coyotes at this point in time, it sure sounds like they're about to enter a complete and total rebuild. Um, So if you were to ask the Coyotes to eat half that salary, you'd have to make it worth their time in a way where it's probably a little too expensive for the New York Rangers considering they'd want him to play a bottom six role, right? Uh, Because... If, if the Coyotes' goal is just to move Derek Stepan, you could probably find a team where the other team is eating more of that contract than the Rangers would want to eat, right? So now you're asking the Coyotes to eat money, which means, again, it's going to cost the Rangers an asset like it did with Mark Stahl. So I, I think it's less about the fit. I think the fit would be great, like Derek Stepan in a 14-minute role on a nightly basis, a defensively responsible center playing in between – Kabakako and Alexi Lafreniere. It's the whole reason why we've talked about guys like Miko Koivu on the free agent market. If he wanted to come here and play one more season, um, but it, it, you start going down a slippery slope with how much will it cost to bring in Derek Stepan to play a fairly limited role on a team where we're still not convinced the New York Rangers will be a playoff team next year. So that that's a tough one. I, I think a a team more ready to compete could come up with a better offer than the Rangers. That That's kind of where I sit on it. Agree. I think that's it for us today. That's all the five-star questions. If you want to leave one, go to iTunes. You know the deal. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Orion Media. You can follow Greg at Blue Shirts Break. And we'll be back later in the week, depending on what other news breaks. Maybe we'll have another different OT. Maybe we'll have an emergency podcast, which will be our OT for the week. Stay tuned. Can I, can I, can I just say, Ryan? Yes. We went this entire podcast, this entire podcast, from start to finish. Oh wow! Even the time in between, even the time in between when we weren't—I didn't even think about the it. Podcast, I didn't say one word about the Wilpons in this entire podcast. I'm proud of you. 
Not not a one. I'm proud of you, really. All I all I will say, Ryan. Rest in peace. Ding dong, the bitch is dead. That's yes. all I'm gonna say. Rest in peace. I agree. Congratulations, Greggy. You've moved on. You missed the playoffs. Thank you. But, Thank you. But, some uh, team will, some team will raise a World Series trophy this year, but my trophy's better because my trophy says I am free of the the Wilpon era. Please let it be the Rays. Anyway, um, I hate this playoff format in the baseball. We could do an hour on that, and we will talk soon, Gregory. Talk to you later this week, everyone. Bye.